What's up, everybody? We are live. Welcome to episode 53. It's going to be a fun one. Ty, it's been a while. It's been a while. What's going on? You know, it's good to be back. How are you doing? Uh, Monday wasn't the best day, and Tuesday was the the colonoscopy day. Oh, no. Had had to cancel. I couldn't do that on, on that day. Just spirits weren't high enough. Wow, that that is crazy. What does that entail? I mean, obviously, uh, a lot of people don't know, but there's a, it's important to get a regular colonoscopy, especially as you. I mean, you're you're a young guy. I, I definitely need to be getting one. But what's uh, what's you the know, background on that? Yeah. Oh, do you want to hit mute on that real quick, Leo? Oh yeah. Um. So there's they're they're saying you should get them a lot younger now, and I I kind of have. What's interesting? So I I do and I don't have a family history of it. My grandpa did have colon cancer. But he's what's called a downwinder. Are, are you familiar with what that? No. I mean, I remember Lion King, the song. <laughs> so a downwinder, <laughs> it's actually really interesting. He wow. grew up in Panguitch, Utah. and Right there by Beaver. It, exactly. In that area in his childhood, I, I would imagine probably the early 40s, maybe, maybe late 30s even, yeah. um, they were testing bombs. Oh, yes, they were. And Nuclear bombs. Exactly. In fact, yeah. And because of the wind that it would yes. blow into the penguin, that all of that area. And so a ton of people from my grandpa's age, that, that generate that, uh, graduating class and a few before and a few after crazy, crazy, crazy rates of colon cancer. So they, oh they actually came out and proved that it was causing colon cancer for all of them. And so we've been told, look, it's not genetic. You don't have colon cancer in your genes, but your grandpa did have it. So they're just a little bit more cautious Interestingly enough, the government came in and gave everyone in that age range like fifty thousand dollars. Said, "Hey, we apologize that happened. Here's fifty grand." It's like, well, I had colon cancer, and yeah, it might cost a little bit more than fifty <laughs> yeah, grand, bro. Exactly. I, I felt like that was Sound, a little. Sounds about right. Uh, I was kind of. I remember he went and bought a Jeep. I was a little kid. I remember when he he got that fifty k, but uh, he beat the colon cancer. So anyway, they That's they like awesome. us to be careful, and yeah, I had to. Had to do the whole prep. I didn't eat for 38 hours and, you know, had to make sure your your colon was squeaky clean and, and shiny. And you know, it was a lot of fun. Um, I a got lot a of prep, slate, too. Though. Like, yeah. you have to starve yourself for a while. You got to make sure you clear out your gut. I mean, it's a lot of work. Like, Yeah, work. but apparently it's way better now than it used to be, Leo. Back, back in the day, um, so similar prep, but yeah. you didn't have all the medicines we did now. And, and after the colonoscopy, you would get put in this room. They used to have to pump a bunch of air into your colon and oh, that's how they made it. Be, that's how they could see it in the cameras for days. Yeah. They'd oh, literally wow. put you in a room for an hour after where you, your job was to pass gas. I'm like, thank goodness. I didn't wow. have to do Ooh, that. that so. but we're good. We're healthy. Oh, good things. Good things. Kind of a nice little, uh, Reference there almost to Oppenheimer, where they were doing the nuclear bomb testing oh, in yeah. uh, in Los Alamos, in New Mexico, and then yeah, I know they did a bunch of testing there in Nevada, yep. and that's what happened. That downwind came, and it and there were people in southern Utah that were getting higher rates of cancer because yep. of that testing. So for sure, very interesting. Welcome to the Go Figure Podcast, created for parents and business owners who want to get their money right. My name's Leo Cannell. As a husband and father of five, I've been fortunate to create two eight-figure businesses in the fintech space. This podcast will share the values, principles, strategies, tools, and tactics that have helped us to build a fintech empire and provide an epic life for our family. Having been a parent and entrepreneur for 20 years, there's a lot I don't know. There's been a lot of failure. The good news is together, we'll find solutions to creating an epic life powered by a business that we love. All right, everybody. So let's jump into our topics today. Number one topic is we're going to start with money and we're going to talk about how to build a fundable business. If you're a business owner, entrepreneur, that's probably why you're here. If you're in the business finance space and you want to talk about strategically what you and your clients need to be doing so that they are fundable, that's what we're going to be diving into, all the different ways, ins and outs to make your business fundable and how we're also uh, automating this in our fintech app with my figures, which is going to be awesome. So that's our money topic. What else we got, Ty? Yeah, for our, our mindset piece, which I, I love this this topic here, we're going to talk mm. about the 11 mindset traits of successful entrepreneurs and things we can do to kind of 
emulate those traits and, and take them into our own lives. It's true. I mean, the more, you know, you study and you research great entrepreneurs like an Elon Musk, like a Patrick Bet David. I mean, these guys have a lot of similarities. Sure, they have some differences, but there are similarities in terms of certain mindsets and traits, values, principles that they live by that you can incorporate into your business, into your life. And it, like everything else, we always say funding is let's put all the odds in your favor so you can get the best funding and business. The same thing if you want to succeed in entrepreneurship, put the odds in your favor and your odds for success go up, put the odds in your favor for health and fitness, everything gets better. And there's no guarantees about anything in life except death and taxes. But if you put enough odds in your favor, then usually good things will happen. Amen. All right. So money mindset. And then we've got the, uh, we've got a little bonus here. We haven't had a political uh, segment here in quite a minute here. And of course, last night we had the uh, Republican presidential hopefuls having a debate or disaster, depending on, on your uh, outlook on it. And so we're going to talk about well, which presidential candidates actually support entrepreneurs the most. Hint, some of them are actually entrepreneurs, so that's a, usually a, a good hint there. So we're going to take an honest look at that and and uh, who's really out there to serve business owners, entrepreneurs, and who is more all about the government and difficulty for entrepreneurs? Because a lot of, a lot of government, and then there's kind of a difference, right? There's like big, huge conglomerates and tech companies and Walmarts and Amazons that are over here. And then if you're a small business owner, it's actually way different. So we'll kind of look at that too. So money, mindset, political, and what's on the sports topic? Sports section, we're going to quickly touch on this because people were close. I, I mean, college yeah. football is Saturday. Notre okay. Dame plays Saturday. USC really? plays Saturday. Like it's, oh, it's that's here. exciting. Football is here. My gosh, oh, thank exciting. goodness. Um, uh, but for sports, we're going to talk about the three quarterbacks that are going to have the best season this year in the NFL, number one, two, Ooh. and three. So. Oh, I'm excited to, to hear what your thoughts are on that. Because right. uh, there, there's a seems like there's more parity. Like there's a, a good number of very high-quality quarterbacks I there think, are. in the NFL. There definitely are. And the stats that these guys put up, I mean, if these guys were putting up stats like this in the 90s, they'd all be MVPs. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, pretty remarkable. All right, everybody, let's jump into our money topic. Number one here, how to build a fundable business. And, you know, whether you're brand new to business, you're an established business owner, there, there's kind of three different types of business owners out there. There's, hey, you're a massive business, you're doing $10 million a year, you're like, uh, you know, I think it's half a percent of business owners fall yep. in that category. So a very small percentage. If you're there, then you've got a lot of options, most likely, because of all the sales and revenues coming into your business. And maybe you even have some assets. So that's a small percentage of the business owner population. Then you've kind of got the... Uh, newer business owner, the startup that's maybe doing less than $250,000 a year in sales. And there's a lot of those, probably 80% of businesses fall into that category. And then there's a category of maybe 15% or so in the middle that's doing 250, 500,000 up to several million dollars in sales. So you kind of have those three different categories. But as you look at that, and we kind of just focus on those two, even, even the guys uh, up here, What's sort of the, the top foundational item that it takes to be fundable? Well, and I, I kind of smile there because it, it, especially as you talk about these people that they start this business, they're like, hey, look, I'm doing $700,000 a year. They think they're just crushing it. And maybe yeah. they are. Maybe for them that's crushing it. But they always, I want this business credit and I don't want it tied to me personally whatsoever. Oh, yeah. And that, that's the first thing I'll bring up, Leo, is even if you're doing five, six, seven, eight million dollars a year, your personal credit matters. Okay, it doesn't mean that they're going to report it against your personal credit, but they will absolutely check your personal credit and you could be killing it with cash flow. If you want to go get traditional business funding options and your personal credit sucks, you're probably only going to get something like a merchant cash advance and that's that's not really going to do you much good if you're trying to get a, a, a good, tough loan. It's exactly. A tough if you need it to stay afloat and your ROL makes sense, great, but your personal credit matters. Now, even if you're doing $10 million a year, it still matters, it right? Because what? You, you bank at Chase, you bank at Bank of America, and you go and you're like, yeah, I want a business line of credit. I want a business loan. I want this. I want that. I want SBA. Well, if you are below a 680, 700 FICO score, it's going to be tough. You're yeah. probably looking at a merchant cash advance type loan. If you don't have that decent credit score, you're for sure not getting any type of traditional banking. And if you want a business line of credit, I mean, you really need that 680, 700. Uh, same with SBA. 
SBA guidelines always say 640, but guess what? SBA doesn't actually loan the money. They just back it up in yep. case you don't pay it back to the bank. The bank makes that decision. And in today's environment where banks, you know, were on the brink of failing and having all these issues with government bonds, they're less likely to take risks, especially on a business loan, which is higher uh, risk for them, you know, compared to an auto loan where, hey, if you don't pay the car loan back, they can uh, just easily go take that car back and get a lot of the loan paid for and, and move on to the next deal. And so, so you're right, personal credit is the number one top factor when it comes to becoming a fundable business owner, entrepreneur. If you don't have a business or excuse me, a personal credit foundation, even when you get up to $10 million a year in sales, that personal credit is still going to be vital. And so if you were going to unpack that, all right, what does it mean to have really good personal credit? How would you describe what good personal credit looks like? Because it's not just score. Yeah, exactly. Everyone always thinks it's just a score threshold. And some, in some instances, it is. Like there's some business lenders that say, look, your personal credit needs to be above 700. And then we're looking at your business credit. But a lot of them, like a, biz, a small business credit card, they literally are heavily looking at your personal credit factors. And, and probably the biggest thing they're looking at is how many revolving accounts do you have on your credit? How long have you had them? What what are those limits like? How high have you taken those limits? What's your current utilization? These are all factors that they're going to look at when they're making a decision on whether or not they're going to give you a small business credit card. Exactly right. And so when you're looking at personal credit as a business owner, you want to become fundable. Well, yes, you got to pay those bills on time, but that's only 35% of your credit profile. The, another 30%, the second biggest factor is that utilization. So if you take all your credit card balances and divide that by all the credit card limits, that number really needs to be around 35% mm -hmm. or less to give the odds in your favor and have a good personal credit profile. So number one factor is personal credit. Number two is if, you, if you're kind of new to business and you're kind of still in that startup phase, let's say you're doing you know $30,000 a month in sales. What are your best options if you're doing $30,000 a month in sales in terms of a business loan? Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of that comes down to how long you've been in business. If, yeah. if you're a new business, say you've been around for four or five, six months, you're doing $30,000 in sales, you're probably, again, you're probably only getting something like a merchant cash yeah. advance where they'll give you about 80% of that 30000 as an advance and say you need to make a daily payment on it at a 1.25 factor rate, meaning you're over six months, you're paying back 1.25% and you have to pay every single day on it. So- I mean, again, if, if you've got to start to do a lot of, uh, of revenue and you've got to be in business for a year or two before you're going to start to get these longer term working capital loans or working capital line of credit options. Exactly right. So like in an example, a merchant cash advance, if you get a $10,000 loan, you might be paying it back in nine months and you'll pay back you know, 1.25% of that, 125% basically, which is 12,500. So you're paying 2,500. Uh, if you want to get down to percentages, be 25% uh, rate that you're paying back within nine months. So that's a very high APR. And now lenders are, states are starting to get into business merchant cash advance lenders actually have to disclose an APR. So, but that's your option as a business owner right there, because you're, you're very new to business. You don't have a lot of profitability. You don't have a lot of sales. And so then, but what if you had, you know, good personal credit and maybe an income source with your spouse, partner, something else then you could actually qualify for maybe a personal loan and a five-year versus a nine-month loan. That's that's a pretty easy decision to make. Absolutely. That that would be my top suggestion there is if, if you still have that W-2 income and you have a good personal credit score, go get a personal term loan with a five-year term, no prepayment penalty, rates closer. Right now, even with you know auto loan rates are eight, nine percent, mortgage loan rates are seven and a half. So for an unsecured loan, you may be looking 12 to to 16%, but there's no prepayment penalty. You, If you're really worried about commingling, you you fill out the promissory note, loan that money formally to your business, and, and now your business has a loan. And it's a, a much more affordable, much more feasible way to do this, but you've got to have the personal credit and you've got to have the verifiable personal income. Exactly right. And then the next thing, uh, you know, we had this awesome... Uh, former veteran, army vet, just a just a badass guy. His name was Connor, and uh, in fact, it was it was one of our uh, funding CEOs. Phil was at a biking store in Colorado. He comes across this guy. He's buying one of his 
Um, I don't know if it was like a motorized bike or what it was, but it was, a, it was one of those cool bikes that he had. And he talk, got talking about business funding. It's like, oh, my bank's driving me nuts. They're declining me. We're, we're growing really fast. And uh, he came to us, and within three days, we got him a $190,000 business line of credit. And what made him so fundable, and this is the key for that business owner who wants the decent-sized business line of credit, was he had increased his average sales from like $25,000 a month to he was up to upwards of you know, $150,000, $200,000 a month in sales consistently, but it was also how he took care of his bank account. Like if you have a bunch of sales, but I remember looking at some guy's bank, bank history and he was literally like negative 80,000. I couldn't believe the bank actually let him go in the red, like 80 grand. So he actually wow. owed the bank 80, like the checking account went from a hundred thousand down to negative 80, which is crazy. But I mean, if you put your business bank account in the negative or you don't have a good average daily balance, you know, at least 10, $15,000 that you're leaving a balance in the business bank account, then as a lender, I don't feel very good about giving you a business line of credit because you don't even have enough, you know, space in there to actually pay back the line of credit based on your history. And so that's a big part of it. Yeah. And, and kind of knowing and understanding that Leo is also very important too, because there's a lot of businesses out there that, that do this profit first model, which I think is really yes, cool, but yeah. you've got to understand the way lenders look at this and lenders are still kind of, a lot of them are dinosaur dinosaurs yeah. and they won't allow you to attach multiple bank accounts and multiple bank statements. And so if I'm preparing, I know I need a round of funding coming into Q4 or coming into Q3. Well, for the next three to six months, I'm going to have all the revenue go to this account, all the revenue sit in that account. So I look very, very cash flow positive. That's what a lender wants to see. And you're going to get much better offers, but you need to understand what lenders are looking for and get those business bank statements in line for that round of funding. Exactly right. So we've talked about the, the top three so far. You got to have a great personal credit foundation. You, If you can have some verifiable income personally, that's going to be helpful, especially at the beginning. If you, for example, so don't, don't quit your day job until you really build your business income up. And then how you take care of your business bank account. And as you start to increase your average monthly deposits through the business bank account, that's going to help out. And then the next step, and this is all kind of a logical progression with that funding letter, right? You might start out with 0% interest business cards and personal loans, and then you can graduate to more of a business option, a business line of credit. And then as you really start to grow, you can actually look at longer term SBA type options. And usually that's when you start to be profitable and they have this cute little term in you know all the business circles where profitability just means you have cash flow. And I remember sitting down with this uh, Chase banker, really nice lady, and she managed like five or six branches in Salt Lake County. And so I sat down with her, and we were doing lunch or something, and I'm like, you know, tell me, what's it really like out there? 20 people apply for funding for their business at Chase. What's the reality look like? She says, okay, 20 people apply. This is the last five years of banking. Um, you know, we're going to turn down 17 of those 20. So three out of 20 are going to have an opportunity. And at the end of the day, really only two may qualify and only one's going to move forward. So they're funding wow. one out of 20 applicants. Wow. I, I, and, yeah. and that's like a tradition. That's like a, B, a business line of credit, business uh -huh. loan. Yep. Wow. I, I, sadly, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, no, and, and that's uh, that's why Seven Figures Funding in this marketplace exists, so that business owners have options. They can get the very best funding option possible because without it, a lot of them don't get funded, and, and it's very difficult. But one of the things she talked about is we're looking at the cash flow. And so if, and we see this all the time with business line of credit lenders, if you take out more than you put into the business bank account each month, what does that tell the lender? You're not making money. You're not yeah. profitable. Yep. Yeah. And that's that I, I actually use that term when I was talking a little bit about your bank statements, making sure you're cash flow positive. Right. And and sometimes you may be very cash flow positive. You may be very profitable, but you're taking all of that money out to get it back to zero and, and just taking yourself, taking those gains month after month. But guess what? If you're getting ready for a round of funding, leave the money in there and Please. let these lenders see that you are cash flow positive. Exactly right. And then, you know, we're talking about everything that it takes to be fundable, good personal credit, verifiable income, how you take care of your business bank account, uh, you actually are cash flow positive in there, all important things. And as you start to succeed, now you want to stack up available credit for 
you know, a rainy day emergency, or even more important, a big opportunity that you can now take advantage because you have available credit that you can dip into when you can make an investment. For example, where we had the chance to invest uh, in a different marketing for a new program, this ERC that we did, and we can invest uh, money in mailers and generate this massive return. And if we didn't have that available cash or credit to pull the trigger on that, we would have missed out on that opportunity. And so as a business owner, these are the things you want to do. You want to always have available credit. So where can they get available credit? Credit cards. There you go. It's a great way to do it. If you don't have a bunch of business credit cards or a really big business credit card limit, then you're going to be held hostage by the amount of cash you have in your bank account. If you don't have a, a type of business line of credit, in addition to business credit cards, again, you're going to be held hostage and not have a lot of opportunities. And I would say it's even more important. It goes further than that, right? You want to have available business credit limits with your business credit cards and a business line of credit. But then personally, you should back that up. And hopefully, you know, if you own your home and you've owned it for a while and, and you have a home equity line of credit just sitting there as a backup, we both do. And we've got a investment properties that do as well, that gives us the opportunity to pull the trigger again in case we need to tap cash. Exactly. So Leo, what would be the best advice you'd give if you're you know, 17, 18, 19, 19 years old, you're watching this right now, maybe you don't even have the idea of the business, but you know you're an entrepreneur, you know you're going to build a business. What's the best thing that that 18, 19 year old can do right now to be ready for funding, even if it's five years down the road? Okay. First off, all that YOLO bullshit, no. No YOLO. You can YOLO when you are 30 and you're financially stable and in a great position. If you will eat shit and work your ass off in your 20s and stack two things, stack cash and credit. Stack cash in your bank account. Live as low below your means as possible. Don't go get an expensive apartment. You know, rent a, a house or apartment with four or five roommates and start saving that money up and stop wait for i just keep thinking about my 14 year old son he's so entrepreneurial but i check his bank account every week i'm like bro your bank account is not going above a hundred dollars you make 400 300 and you spend it all stop that so stack cash and then stack credit and yes you want to make smart decisions you don't have to use it but you have to build it and so that starts with building a credit card. Chase has a, a builder credit card. Most of these uh, banks and credit unions, if you have your bank account there and you're depositing money, they'll let you open, they'll approve you to open a credit card. So yeah. get a credit card open, start building that credit. Hopefully avoid student loans. Those aren't going to help your credit. Get a car loan if you can, a very small car loan, you know, five, $10,000 is fine, 15,000 and a very affordable monthly payment. Build credit history through a car loan and through a few credit cards. And then as you pay those credit cards down, ask the lenders to increase the credit card limits. And all of a sudden, you can start stacking credit, stacking cash. And now when you find the opportunity to be an entrepreneur, to start a business where you can actually launch that business, get it off the ground, you can do it because you have the cash and you have the credit. And now you can solve that problem with your product or service as an entrepreneur. And if you'll do that in your 20s, Oh my goodness, you'll set yourself up so well. And I think you did a good job of that. You know, as you were saying that, it's kind of interesting, Leo. Um, I, I gamified this whole thing. And what I mean by that, you know, Kevin. Oh yeah. Uh, one of my best friends, Kevin, he's done some projects for us. I remember we were both 18 years old and we worked for a company called Lexington Law. We were selling credit repair. So we were starting to learn a little bit about credit scores. We had both recently got our very first credit cards. I think I've said this before, that American Express Costco card. Yeah. And we're like, oh, this is interesting. Um, let's, let's make this a challenge. Let's see who can be the first to get $100,000 of available credit. Really? And so we'd log into Experian and we loved looking at that available credit tab. And, and what that meant is if I had 10,000, and I spent 2000 my available credit went down to eight. Yeah. And so the, the challenge was, let's get that up to, I think our big thing initially was, let's get up to the 800s, but then it became, who can get the most available credit? Mm. And it may have been a game, and it was like, let's get a free trip, let's get a free flight, let's get a free this. So we weren't spending our credit, we were spending the rewards. Yes. But by doing this, I am now 31 years old, I think I'm up to like $250,000 in available credit just on credit cards, Leo, yeah. not counting real estate, anything like that. And that was probably the best thing I've ever done for my entrepreneurial, not only right now, but my future is 
getting these credit lines established when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, because now I've got the history. I can show that I know how to manage credit. And when I'm in my late 20s, ready to start a business with you, we had no problem going out and getting approvals left and right. And so I think that's the best thing you can do. Just like you said, if you know you want to build a business, you know you want to leverage your credit, just having that available credit does not mean you have any bills. Go out and get that available credit, gamify it, see what you have to do to get to 800, get that available credit up to 100,000. Just don't spend it until you're ready. And then you talked about something very disciplined there that really sets you up for success financially as an entrepreneur, or even just someone who wants to build wealth. If you have the discipline of, okay, I'm going to buy something with my cashback reward credit card, my Chase Freedom, whatever card you're using, your Amex, and you generate all of these cashback rewards, but then you already have the cash sitting there. The only reason you bought that thing was you had the cash to pay for it. You used your card to do it. You got the points. You built the credit. You built the reputation, the relationship with the lender. And then at the end of the month, you paid it off. Exactly. Exactly. It was like I, I needed to pay my tuition anyway, so I'm going to use this credit card. And then Capital One was willing to give me $1,000 to go take a cruise because I used that. I couldn't afford the cruise on my own, but if they wanted to give it to me to pay my tuition I had to pay anyway... By all means, thank you, Capital One. That's called smart money, my friends. And that's what it's all about, being fundable and then kind of planning for future funding options, right? If you know you want to be able to qualify for a $150,000 SBA loan, knowing that you've got to increase your sales, knowing you have to have your business tax returns filed and all your taxes paid, that's another thing. you got to be stacking cash to pay those taxes if you're a profitable business owner. And if you do it right and you set up an S-Corp, you're going to pay a lot less in taxes than you ever would have as a W-2 employee. And that's what I always say. There's two tax systems in this country. There's one for entrepreneurs who are going to pay less because they create jobs. And there's one for everybody else. And so you want to be in that, that entrepreneur group and save money on taxes. Well, Ty, uh, final word on, on becoming a fundable business owner. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to what we were just saying is, is just start now. Go get what you can qualify for right now. And if you don't need to spend it, don't spend it. You don't have a bill until you spend the money. But, but get started. Do something. Take action. It's way better to have the money and not need it than vice versa. And if you filed bankruptcy or if you've gone through a tough time, make it right now. Get rid of the negatives. Work your butt off and get everything. You have the biggest problem. I just saw somebody who filed for, for bankruptcy four years ago. They were applying for business funding. They, oh, can I qualify? No, no, because you've established no new credit since you went through that bankruptcy. You have to do the same thing, establish the credit with a car loan, with credit cards, and slowly over time, build that up. It's not a one-time event. It's a process. And the sooner you start going down that road, the greater opportunity you have for success. And it's so funny, like, all of the, the entrepreneurs that we like, know, and, and uh, follow, for example, I was listening to Alex Hormozzi, and uh, he just had this big, huge launch yeah. this last weekend. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're fortunate to serve one of his uh, old companies uh, with funding and, and whatnot. But uh, he talked about it. He talked about he, he needed two things. He needed to know how to advertise, and he needed his Amex. I was just listening to that on Autumn. I thought, there it is. And uh, Russell Brunson, same thing. Yeah. He, he had an Amex card, like a 50 grand Amex card that started ClickFunnels. And so, so many, you know, Kevin Plank, so many successful entrepreneurs, they had that credit and that opened the doors to, to launch what became hundred million, billion dollar businesses. Yeah, I mean, credit is extremely powerful if it's utilized correctly. All right, guys, our mindset topic is the 11 mindset uh, traits of successful entrepreneurs. The first trait they give us is positive attitude, positive attitude. Yeah, I, I think that's the key to everything. And, and what's interesting about the attitude, uh, there's an old quote that we had to memorize. It was a full poem that we had to memorize. I remember I was a sophomore in high school and this teacher was the biggest badass football coach, just really? kind of a dick. Like, yeah, he was really scary. Turned out to be, I, I probably learned more from him than anyone, which was awesome. Um, but the very first day of class, there's a poem on our desk. And it says, the poem starts, I, I believe it's the very beginning. It says, I believe the single most significant decision I can make on a day-to-day -day basis is my choice of attitude. And it goes on to talk about why, but the key word right there is choice, right? Your attitude is a choice. It's like, is, is it Zig Ziglar that has the quote, people often say that motivation doesn't last Well, neither yep. does taking a shower. That's oh, why yeah. they recommend you do it daily. And I think these successful entrepreneurs are so good 
and have such a routine of every single day they wake up and that whether it's affirmations, whether it's getting right to working out, they do what they have to do to start that day with a positive attitude, but it is a choice. We all wake up and we get to decide if we want to have a positive attitude or a negative attitude. And it's this idea that you can control things, right? Yes. It's not just, oh, the world decided my you know, uh, attitude if I was going to be happy or, or sad today. And like the, that's what the world's all about. Everybody on the media and it's you have no control and, and it's, oh, let me feel bad and, and let's be victims. And that's not the road to success if you want to be successful in any aspect of life. You can control your attitude and yes. how you react to, to difficult times. Uh, second trait it talked about was openness, openness to listen to ideas, openness to find or think a different way, openness to finding solutions. And I would say openness to just believing that something can be fixed. And if you have, again, a negative attitude and a pessimistic mindset that everything's going to fail, then it's pretty tough to be open to succeeding and creating something. Absolutely. And then the, the next one here is curiosity of a child. And I think that, I love that. is so important because that's what gives us it. I, I, when, when I read that, my mind immediately went to uh, Flick from A Bug's Life yeah. and all these new inventions and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. He was curious. He had the curiosity of a child and he had that imagination. And I think sometimes that imagination is what creates these dreams for us. And these dreams are what we can then put into action and build these businesses and, and have employees and stimulate economies. But it all starts with that curiosity. And, and I think sometimes we forget about that. It's that curiosity of wanting to explore and do things. And, and yeah. you have kids, you know, you've got the Jack running around and he's super curious and he wants to learn things and he wants to do things and he's not afraid to fail. And it's that type of trait and attitude that leads to success as an entrepreneur because you're curious, you want to know, you want to learn. And the problem is, as we get older, a lot of the times we, we become less curious. So it's something you need to be very aware of. If you want to be curious, well, how does that work? Well, how does coding work? How does software work? How does sales work? How does marketing work? Why is this guy so good at that? Why is this gal such an amazing entrepreneur? Um, what is it they're doing? And that curiosity leads to a lot of success in asking the right questions too. Uh, next, we've got be persuasive. And this is another one of those skills. How have you learned over time to be persuasive? You know, it, it just comes down to, in my opinion, understanding people, right? Understanding psychology, but why they do what they do, how they act, why they're acting that specific way. It, it Persuasion, in my opinion, comes down way more to not what I'm saying, but how I'm understanding the human being that I'm needing to persuade. Um, and, and sometimes I think that comes off as a bad thing if you're persuasive and, and whatnot, but I think it can be a very, very powerful tool if you know how to use that as a powerful tool, like for employees. I, I understand that I have to be persuasive in different ways for different employees because of how they think and how, how they act. What, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, persuasion is needed in all aspects of life. You know, you had to learn to be persuasive to, to get your wife or your husband yeah. to marry you, right? You have to be persuasive to get your kids to, you know, do the dishes, do the, the latest task. You have to be persuasive to be able to listen to a client, their problem, and let them know you've got the solution for them. And so it's this life skill that's going to help you in all aspects of life. And you think about some of the best entrepreneurs out there, you think of Steve Jobs up there in the Apple Theater telling and, and presenting the new iPhone and how persuasive he was at making those presentations and letting us know, wow, this is going to change your life and be so uh, impactful in everything you do in all areas of communication and creation. And, and that's what you have to be. If you want to succeed as an entrepreneur, yeah. you have to be persuasive and it's a skill that you need to, you can, the cool thing you can learn about all, there's a book about all of these. Yeah. I, I think there's a fine line between being, uh, persuasive and manipulative. And I, I think the there difference is. there is if you're being persuasive, you're, you're doing it for the greater good right? Versus manipulative. Oftentimes you're doing that for your own selfish benefit. And, and I think sometimes people misunderstand persuasion and, and manipulation. And so I think uh, persuasion is a very, very good skill. Manipulation, you, you 
you kind of need to be careful with that. Well, in manipulation, usually you can kind of smell it. It's, uh, you know, you might be on the phone with a salesperson or meeting with them, and you can tell if they have commission breath because all they're <laughs> caring about is them, 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 their, their features, whatever, instead of asking you the right questions and listening and really trying to solve whatever problem you're going through. And so that's always a key. And it's the same thing clearly in relationships. If you're in this relationship only for you, then that relationship's probably not going to work out. But if your relationship is, how can I help my spouse or partner succeed and get what they want? Boy, that relationship will go up significantly. And you start thinking of the things uh, that you can do for them. And it makes all the difference in the world and also make you a lot more happier. Uh, creative is another one. I always say there's two types of people in this world. There's consumers and there's creators. And I want my kids to be creators not consumers. Absolutely. I, th- I think that's a very important one there. And sometimes they, you have to work a little bit harder. Certain entrepreneurs, they they don't have that natural creative aspect and, and it's something you have to work on, but it it's a skill. Um, self-motivated. Uh, that's another one that I, I think that comes down to making that decision to be motivated. I mean, Leo, you, you talk about this a lot. What is different for you right now versus 10 years ago. I would say you're way more self-motivated today than you were 10 years ago. Why? No question about it. It's And it's not something that just changes overnight, but it starts with asking yourself, like, the number one question I, I try to get my kids to answer is, who do you want to be? And if you can answer that one question, then the rest of it becomes a little easier because now you know, oh, well, I see myself, I want to become a really successful entrepreneur. I want to be I see myself as a great father and an amazing husband as somebody who, you know, makes products and services to make uh, life easier for business owners or whoever you want to serve. And when you have that mission, that why of who you want to become, well, now it's easy. I wake up. Oh, let's get to it. I got to take care of my fitness. I'm this. This is who I am. This is my identity. I'm a successful entrepreneur. I'm a fit um, you know, human being, I make people's lives better. I serve them at the highest level. I'm going to help my kids chase big dreams. I'm going to support my wife in everything, be the best husband I can be. And when you have these well-defined things, that's why, yeah, who I was 10 years ago, I started to create that vision of who I wanted to become. And now you have so much purpose when you wake up. And I will say this, everybody that's on the fence about having kids, there's nothing that will give you more purpose and drive motivation than waking up knowing, oh my gosh, I got to take care of this kid. I got to bring them the best life possible. And so I feel like those are important things, but that's the question. Who do you want to be? Exactly. And and people need to understand that very, very motivated individuals, very, very self-motivated individuals still get tired. They still oh, get yeah. hungry. They still get sore. They still get uncomfortable in the cold showers. They're no different than you. Their why just has more meaning than your why to them as individuals. And and I think that's what it comes down to. And as human beings, we don't do anything without understanding why, right? I I wouldn't just brush my teeth to brush my teeth. I brush my teeth because I know what happens if I don't brush my teeth. It's the exact same thing. So if you don't have any purpose, if you haven't clearly defined your why, I don't care if you're a mailman, a CPA, a school teacher, if you don't understand your why, you will never be self-motivated. And and understanding your why is not just for business owners, it's for everyone. Yeah. But that's what it takes to be self-motivated. Exactly right. So define your why. And then another trait of successful entrepreneurs, they are resilient and they are tenacious. And that means they know you know that adversity is coming. And the higher you get up in business, like there's the more problems generally you're going to see and that you're going to need to solve or have a team, someone on your team who helps solve different problems. And so you understand that adversity is right around the corner. You know, you're going to get a one-star review that you don't necessarily deserve, or maybe you do deserve it, and you have to find a way to move forward and try and fix that problem. Maybe there's a system process error. Maybe there's, you know, someone on your team you need to sit down with and find out what's going on in their life to get them back on track. But great entrepreneurs and great people are resilient in the face of adversity and setbacks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, let's see, which one are we on? Uh, taking ownership oh, yeah. of Take, everything. Taking ownership. That's, it's, it's kind of that control what you can control principle that we live by here. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And, and kind of like you said, with, with getting a negative review, it's, it's taking ownership of that review and, and deciding, you know, what can I control? What can I do about this? Let's respond. Let's do our best to serve the client. And the rest is history. 
um, control what you can control and, and own your actions. That's what it comes down to. Exactly right. And then you're receptive to new ideas and criticisms. Anytime you have a leader or somebody who doesn't listen to their team who are in the trenches and can point out issues and obstacles and things that they're running into, that's a big mistake. You have to be able to listen. You have to be able to ask the right questions. And then uh, it's important to understand, too, it's great to get people that are better than you are at certain things on your payroll, in your business, on your team, because now the odds of success just go up that much more. And you're also receptive to criticism because you know that this is a journey and that you've got a lot of uh, weaknesses that you need to improve upon and you don't take them personally, but how can you get better? And I think uh, people who are really at peace with themselves are just constantly, how can I get better? How can I get better? How can I learn new skills? How can I get better results and better output for everybody around me? And they understand that they've got limitations and issues and, and they want to be honest about it. Oh, yeah. And if, if you're the type of person that openly can admit you do not take criticism well, it's time to go do some homework. I, I kind of did a small training. Jada did a great training on it as well. Mm-hmm. Understanding how to receive criticism will literally make or break you as a business professional. Um, and everyone kind of struggles with different aspects of it. For me, Leo, it, it, the, the most important thing when I'm being criticized is I need to sit back. I need to listen with the intent to understand. Right. Sometimes I get so caught up in, okay, what are they saying? And I start to formulate my response and I I miss key points of what they're trying to criticize. Mm -hmm. Criticize is is a great way for you to learn and grow as a professional, but you need to truly sit back, listen with intent to understand, not to respond. And once you understand the criticism, at that point, make an educated decision. You know, do I want to make a change? Do I not want to make a change? But do it with a level head. And and, and you'd be shocked how many times I even employees that you think don't even know how to do their job can offer some criticism that can genuinely change you and make you a better professional. Oh, yeah. And the criticism can come from the bottom up all the time because they'll see your weaknesses. Just like when you're a parent and your kids start to see, well, wait a second, uh, Dad, you said don't do that. And then you're doing it. Wait a second. That that's inc- what are you doing, <laughs> Dad? And so, you know, no one will point out uh, your shortcomings better than your kids and your team, your employees. And so it's always good to be open and honest about those. And of course, do what you say you're going to do. And in successful entrepreneurs, another trait they have is they're very passionate. They're passionate about getting a result. They're passionate about succeeding. They're passionate about helping others. They're passionate about getting better every day in all aspects of entrepreneurship, their life with their family. And uh, so if you're not passionate, in fact, reminds me of this old quote, there's this quote where the Greeks, the ancient Greeks were like, you know, when somebody died, the first question asked was, did that person live passionately? Did they really go after things or did they, were they just kind of uh, half-assing things? That's interesting. Yeah. And then the, the last one there is, is empathy. And I think oftentimes this is just the, the people skip over it. They get so consumed by the bottom line and, and oftentimes forget that, you know, you're, you're working with actual people. You're working with someone's child. You're working with someone's father, someone's mother, someone's grandfather, whatever that may be. And sometimes you need to step back and get in their shoes and really think like the consumer and, and genuinely feel for them. And, and that's something, what's interesting as we're going through these, Leo, when we sat down as we were starting this company, it was kind of our, we made it our motto for the year. But for me, that's kind of been the motto gr- for great my motto. life. It, it's something that I want to live by day in, day out. And it's, it's, I will, followed by do what I say I'm going to do, aka accountability. I will listen with the intent to understand, aka I'm going to receive feedback and criticism. I will love my lead or my client like my mother, which is, is empathy. And then the last one there is become an expert. And so I, I think that's the key right there. And it's not just as a, a business professional, it's as a father, it's as a brother, it's as a mother. If you can do those four things, you will succeed. Plain and simple. And it makes it so much easier when somebody is having, you know, you're dealing with someone who's having a bad day, they're jumping all over you. And if you just step back and, hey, I need to treat this person just like they are family, listen and see if we can find some solutions. And I'd say a very small percentage of the time, maybe 5% of the time, you know, some we can't help everybody. Some people are literally, you know, not uh, in a position psychologically maybe where they can be helped, but 95% are. And 95% want to succeed. They want to win. They have good intentions. 
And so if you can find a solution there and step back and not respond emotionally, but respond with empathetically, how if I were in your shoes, boy, I'd probably feel the same way and validate the way they're feeling, agree with them in some sense. And then how can we move forward? How can we make this right? And if you'll come that way, 95% of people will meet you in the middle and you can find a resolution. And so I'm excited to go reach out to that one-star review today and see what we can do to connect with him. Amen. All right. Our next topic here is the political segment. I haven't done this one in a minute, but, you know, I'm sure the politics is going to be ratcheting up more and more as time goes by and the 2024 election is upon us. But last night there was the uh, Republican uh, presidential uh, debates. And, of course, uh, there's a couple people on the Democratic side as well that are running for president as well. So I just wanted to ask the question, which presidential candidates are the most focused on supporting entrepreneurs and small business owners? And we're not saying necessarily supporting like the big, huge, multi-trillion dollar conglomerate companies that really don't need much help. Yeah. They're, they're in pretty good shape. But the small business owner, uh, of which there's tens of millions of them, does. So, Let's uh, let's get started here. We're gonna we're gonna start on one end and then work our way down. And uh, I'm gonna add one that's not on there. But our first one is uh, is President Joseph Biden, the man from Scranton, Pennsylvania. All right, Joe. Let's take a look at. Uh, it's been uh, this is his third year as president, right? Mm-hmm. So three years as president. Um, let's see what has Joe Biden done for small business owners and entrepreneurs being as objective as we can let's let's see um well there's a you know i a couple programs come to mind you know you had uh it was uh it was ppp number two i think well here here's what's interesting leo okay let's talk president biden let's eliminate covid all right if we take covid COVID out what didn't exist what has he done for small businesses i'm not aware of anything he raised corporate tax rates. Oh, okay. You're right. He did. That's right. <laughs> corporate tax rates went from 21 to 28%, which doesn't necessarily makes it harder for a business owner if you have more taxes, yeah. more red tape. So yeah, if you kind of take away COVID, and that was kind of something that they worked on like the second or third month in his presidency, which was already in the works. So outside of that, yeah. Yeah, because I think regardless taxes. of who was president, that relief was coming in some way, shape, or form. I don't think Biden really had much to do with the EIDL, the PPP, the ERC. No, the it, stuff. I it think had already been started in exactly. 2020. It had already been exactly. started in 2020. So you, you take that away and, yeah, corporate tax rates went up, inflation went up, meaning people needed more raises. It was it was harder to hire. It was – I can't really think of anything. No, I can't either. I mean, it's, it's generally been most of the words coming out of their mouth. Sometimes I think they give lip service to helping small business, but they don't ever seem to have a lot of actions there. And, in fact – talking about covid a lot of those policies and shutdowns put millions of businesses that had been in families for decades they were forced to close yeah so super unfortunate um all right the other guy uh, i think in democratic circles you got uh, robert f kennedy jr and he seems to talk a lot about helping small business owners and jfk uh you know his uncle and then his dad robert f kennedy they both seem to support small business owners yeah, I, I've actually really resonated with a lot of the things that, that he's talked about and things that he said. It's kind of that that really old-school Democrat that the party used to be. And I, JFK Democrats that you know might not be Democrats, probably. Exactly. Yeah. All right, then you got uh, Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey. And we're kind of just putting these down. I actually don't know tons about all the things. I know he was the governor of New Jersey and... They had that uh, crazy hurricane in like uh, what was it 2012 when Mitt Romney was running, and um, I don't know. I'm not. I so I mean I, did, is, I didn't I didn't hear him say anything about helping business last night. I guess. Yeah, I didn't hear it. It was mostly about how long he's been a politician and how he understands the political <laughs> game more so than anyone else. But I mean, that doesn't sound like in, someone helping any state where you're not uh, legally allowed to pump your own gas, Leo. I, I don't know if I can get on board. Wait, with is that. Jersey like Jersey's Oregon? Like Oregon? Oh, that, okay, that tells me all. Oh, so you you don't care about business because if you're a business, you want efficiency, and there's nothing efficiency about paying someone fifteen dollars an hour to have to pump your gas. Yeah, yeah. I still can't believe that in Oregon. I went out to get. My, like, no, you can't give yourself gas against the llama. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Then we got uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. 
and what he's done. And obviously, the first thing that I think about when I think Florida, and you and I go to Florida multiple times every year, we have properties there, etc. Um, you know, I think of somebody who supports small business, doesn't love big business like Disney, and some of the, uh, you know, some of the advantages that Disney's had, but uh, they have the have really low unemployment, their economies in was the number one economy over the last three, four years statewide. Um, so he must be doing something right. Yeah, I think he understands small business. I think he's been through that. I, I think Ron DeSantis is honestly, he's brilliant. We know he's brilliant. Like he is. from an educational standpoint, the, the man is brilliant, but I don't think he did well last night. I, I think all of his responses were very awkward and scripted. And I, I think he's kind of shot himself in the foot this campaign. I, I don't really think that it's going anywhere, which is too bad because I think he is actually extremely qualified. I think he's shown that he can do a really, really good job. I just don't think he's very good at, at presenting himself. He, he's a good, uh, it's, I was listening to a, a segment from Patrick Goodave and he's like, Hey, you know, sometimes you're the man on the high school football team. And then you try to make it in college and, Oh, you're not quite the man anymore, but someone else is. And then that person who was really great in college goes to the NFL and oh, they, they didn't actually turn out to be quite so good in the NFL. And it's kind of like that where, you know, governor Ron DeSantis is one of the best governors in the country, but that next step to the national level and the presidential level maybe isn't quite uh, he's not there yet yeah and he certainly he held back he's very scripted he didn't go to all the podcasts and uh, he didn't go to all the rounds he didn't he would only talk to someone if he knew they were going to ask him easy questions that was that was what it looked like and so i think that's that's hurt him and then just he's been inconsistent on issues he first he was kind of against ukraine war and then he's with it so he, people don't like when you're wishwashy. Yeah. So, all right. Then we got uh, Governor Nikki Haley, who's also, I think, Secretary of State under Trump. Uh, she was the South Carolina governor. Um, how does she support? What, what's your takeaway from her? You know, I I actually enjoyed a lot of the things that she had to say. I, I don't necessarily think that I agreed with her theory on what's going on in Ukraine and how we need to continue to give them absolutely everything, but because it's either they fight Russia or we fight Russia on our ground. I, I don't really think that's the case. I think if we use those resources to build up our own uh, national security and, and use those resources to handle situations on the border, the, the Southern borders where you look at how many people are dying every single day from this uh, opioid epi epidemic. And you, you look at the situation with, sex trafficking and all of this going on in our own country. I think there's lives to be saved here. Um, but, you know, I, I do like a lot about what she said. I don't know if she really has any background in, in small business and, and whatnot. I, her, I don't her know mom, enough about all this. Her these. mom uh, was from India, and she had a little small business that supported her when she was a kid. Huh? So she kind of has that background of it. And she surprised me. I, I, I thought she did pretty well last night. Yeah. But same thing. A lot of her, her thoughts and ideologies kind of very old school Republican. Like we have to be the police of the world in our country. And it's it just reminds me a lot of when I'm talking to other entrepreneurs and people, and they're like, so excited to invest a bunch of money, charitable money to countries outside of our own. And I'll, we can go downtown in Salt Lake City and see a bunch of homelessness, a bunch of kids struggling, a bunch of kids not getting education. And I think, why would I go invest money for charitable purposes, all these other places when 10, 15 miles from here, there's plenty to be done. And I think it's very similar it's very difficult for you to go out and save that person um, who can't get oxygen on the airplane if you and your family aren't taken care of. And it's the same thing. If we aren't taking care of our people, how can you even begin to do a good job of taking care of others? Now, some people say, oh, you can do both at the same time. Yeah, you can, but we aren't. Yeah, We aren't doing both at the same time. We aren't doing a good job of taking care of our people. And more than 65%, according to the survey numbers, show that 65% of the people feel things are not going well economically. They're not going well as a country as a whole. And so that that's, just seems like they're disconnected from the reality that most people see. Yeah. All right. Then we got Vivek Ramaswamy, the uh, biotech entrepreneur. Um, his uh, parents uh, came to this country from India as well. And he has uh, founded uh, a couple, uh, couple multi-billion-dollar companies, uh, a biotech company, and that's a guy who has done the opposite of Ron DeSantis. He's 
every time I pull up YouTube, he's on another podcast, Bill Maher, you know, Patrick Bet David, all of these podcasts, every major show out there, he's been on it. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's exactly what the country needs is someone like that that can come in and actually make changes. It's like, a, what's his name? The, the Again, I keep drawing a blank on his name. The, the North Dakota. Uh, Doug Bergnon, I want to say. Yeah, he, he talks about how the school system, it, it needs changes. We can't keep doing yeah. the same thing we've done for 70 years and just expect it to change because we got new people, we got new teachers, we've got new staff. We need to actually make these changes. And I think someone like... A, that understands how to come in and, and actually make changes. He's proven it. He has a track record. I, I mean, running a government is a lot like running a massive organization, and he's actually proven that he knows how to do that. Exactly right. That's why I always am baffled by people like, oh, you're a rookie. You haven't done anything. I'm like, bro, um, I'm pretty sure that running a multi-billion dollar organization with thousands of employees is actually more difficult than running a government where everything's kind of moving forward and, you know, you just are supposed to make up some new laws or new legislation and, uh, you know, you solve some problems. If there's a hurricane or if there's a natural disaster in your, in your state, then there's an issue there, uh, which Ron DeSantis did a great job of doing. And, and I guess uh, Chris Christie uh, did okay when that happened in New Jersey as well. But for the most part, you're going to have a really tough time convincing any real entrepreneur that it's more difficult to start and grow and run a business with your own money at risk than all of that government money that comes in on your budget that you overspend on anyway because you're an irresponsible business leader or government leader. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Tim Scott, uh, uh, one thing I know he did for business was the Opportunity Zones which helped uh, neighborhoods that weren't doing well and encouraged investment to start businesses in those neighborhoods. So that was a good thing. He did that with President Trump. And, um, and then he's just been a, a senator for a while and seems like a really nice guy, but I'm, I don't know much beyond that. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I was going to say he seems like a nice guy. I don't think I really see him as the president of the United States. Yeah. I mean, I did love his question or his response when they asked him about, you know, how do we – how do we bring God back into the equation, yeah. right? Um, and he said, you know what? I firmly believe that this nation was was built by the guidance of, of our Heavenly Father, by God. But I think his response is perfect because he understands that, guess what? There's a lot of people that do not believe in God, and that's their right. They get to believe what they want to believe. But what he said is it's our actions. It's the way we emulate what we believe in, and, it, and it's our actions that speak louder than words. And I thought that he did a great job with that, not shoving the— in God we trust, down everyone's... Which is kind of what Mike Pence did. Exactly. Mike Pence was shoving a lot of stuff, and it was all about, I'm experienced, I'm experienced, and I'm just not of that mindset. Exactly. We need term limits. We don't need people to be in government for decades. That doesn't work out well for anybody except them. Yeah, I, it was essentially, they're going to know what I believe because of the way I live my life. And I thought that was yeah. an awesome response. Yeah, well done. Um, this guy didn't get to go to the debate last night, didn't qualify, but uh, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez has done a ton for business. He has been recruiting and making business, uh, recruiting great businesses in the Miami area. And you've seen so much growth in there because of the amazing policies and the welcoming. And he's a recruiter. He's always out there recruiting. So he's, he's done a great job. He's not going anywhere as a presidential candidate. So out of every all eight that we heard last night, who do you feel really gave a vision for a better country? Not just like criticizing the other side, which doesn't really accomplish that much. But hey, here's a vision for where our country can be. Ramaswamy, that, that's the only one that comes to mind yep. after watching that, that actually felt like they had their own unique ideas. It wasn't just this scripted response time after time. He's also the only one I texted you right after. I'm like, oh my gosh, if Trump was up there on this panel, he would have absolutely obliterated everyone. Looking back on it, he's the only one that maybe, it, it would be really interesting to to watch him and Trump go back and forth. But yeah, I was not super impressed. And like I said, I think Trump's running circles around all of them. Not that, that that's what I want. I'm not going to say what I want, but I, that was my take. Yeah, and that's what the polls are showing. And the really baffling thing is, boy, I would, I would actually vote for a Robert F. Kennedy Jr. But if you're on the Democratic side, I don't see how can you vote for somebody who's 82 and clearly has lost his mental faculties. I mean, if that's our grant, and we've both had grandparents in that situation. Yeah. 
both of us. Yeah. And you don't want your grandpa having to do something that they can't even do and their mind's not even there. And like, imagine you're having your grandpa make these really important decisions for all sorts of, you know, things and business and stuff. And, and he's just not there. Like that's, and that's where we're at as a country. It is sad. It is very sad. And it's very real. Yeah. Mind boggling. Well, that's uh, that's our takeaway. I agree. I think Vivek Ramaswamy is the only one who had a true vision. He said, everyone else is talking about running away from something. I'm talking about running to something and restoring real American values about hard work and patriotism and entrepreneurship and all of the things that make this country the best country in the history of our world. So that was the only guy that uh, painted a true vision that we saw and it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I do know this, regardless of whoever is president or whoever is in the political circles, sure, they're going to have an impact, but ultimately you decide your future and your destiny as an entrepreneur and as a business owner. I think we'll probably have to get to the sports uh, segment uh, next time. But uh, great episode, Ty. I really enjoyed your your feedback, thoughts, and everything that we were able to cover today. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I thought that was awesome. I'll tell you what, Lee, I'll give them to you. I'll, I'll tell you. One, two, three. It's going to be this way. Here we go. What do you got in my mind? It's Pat Mahomes, number one. It's Joe Burrow, number two. It's Trevor Lawrence, number three. That might be the surprise. Oh, that is a surprise. Come end of season, that's one, two, three right there. Wow. Go figure. Thank you for joining us on the Go Figure podcast. If you learned something that will help your business or family, take 30 seconds and give us a five star. If we added value to your day, then share the show with someone who wants to get their money right and be sure to subscribe to the Seven Figures Funding YouTube channel. If you're a business owner and a parent committed to getting your money right for your family, then check out the MyFigures.com money app with a free 30-day trial to manage your money, track your net worth, and build a profit-first business through our fintech platform. God bless, and we'll see you next time on the Go Figure podcast.